0: Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series, I Quit. In this brief series, we'll look at things we might want to quit or stop doing in our lives. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil helps us find ways to quit living without God's power. Join us as Pastor Dave shows us some ways to connect with God and His power.
1: Morning, Bay Hills. Grab the study guide that's in your program. Turn to Acts chapter 1. That's page 770. If you grabbed a Bible on the back uh, table, page 770. As you're turning there, if you were to meet with, uh, the, you know, they call these guys life coaches or someone in organizational management and uh, you're wanting them to help you with something, one of the first things they're going to typically try and do is show you how to make an effective to-do list. My guess is that most of us You know, regardless of personality, have times in our lives when we put together a to-do list. If you're at work, depending on your job, you got a a to-do list of things you got to get done that day or you got to get done that week. If you're a parent, Uh, We always have to-do lists of things, places we got to get the kids and things we got to get done around the house. We got our to-do lists, right? If you're a student, I know uh, school is getting done here pretty soon, but if you're in college, you got to have to put a a list together, a to-do list of, you know, assignments that are coming up and tests and, you know, kind of get organized right there. If you're a parent, you know, you've got all kinds of lists together where the kids got to go and things you got to buy and uh, things that got to get fixed around, around the house. If you've ever gone on a trip. Right? Or, or any kind of vacation, you got a list of, of things that you got to get done before you leave. I know that I've had a massive list getting ready to go to South Africa. Um, you will be happy to know that um, I, I gave several lists to our staff members to make sure they keep working while I'm gone. And uh, But it seems like we all have these different to do lists to do. What's interesting is that people in the area of, of um, organizational management, one of the things that they say is as important as it is to put together a to do list, what well, may be just as important is to put together a not-to-do list of things I'm not going to do, of things I'm going to stop doing, of things I'm going to quit altogether. You saw from the short video that we had prior to the message and, and what's on the screen, we're starting a brand new series today called I Quit, encouraging you to stop doing certain things. You know, most of the times on, on, on Sunday mornings, you know, we're telling you what to do and what to add and what to implement. But the Christian walk sometimes is also about quitting certain things, stopping certain things. Today we're gonna. This is series is going on for three weeks. Today, what I want to talk to you about, you've seen on your study guide. I know there's a double negative in there, but hopefully it makes sense. You quit living without God's power. Some of us are living with the salvation that God gives, but we are not living with the power that God gives. We're living in our own strength. We're living in our own power. Let, let me try and explain it to you this way. Let's put that next slide up there on the screen. Uh, That is the Gossamer Albatross. That Gossamer Albatross made aviation history in June of 1979. It was the first man-powered plane to fly across the English Channel from Britain to France. You'll see there's a little pod there. And then inside the pod, there's this guy kind of standing up. and You can kind of see a silhouette. He he was actually an amateur cyclist by the name of Brian Allen. And the way he got the, the Gossamer Albatross to fly is just by cycling, by cycling. And it took him two hours, 49 minutes to, to fly 22 miles. And as cool as this was, everybody was talking about this. When he arrived on the coast of France, he was absolutely exhausted. You could see by the pictures, he didn't get much higher than that. At the most, he got 15 feet. And there were boats all around just in case he crashed into the sea. They could help him out, right? As, as, as much as everybody talked about this, Would you agree that man-powered flight hasn't really caught on as an industry? It really hasn't caught on it's not very practical, right? It's not very practical because we're not even a cyclist. We don't have the energy, the power, and the strength to keep doing that. Some of us, that, that represents our spiritual walks right there. That's our spiritual lives for some of us. We're wondering why we're so spiritually exhausted. It's because we, on our own strength, on our own energy, are trying to make it in life. We forget that the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, I can do all things through Him, through Christ, through God who gives me strength. Now, do you and I need to work? Yeah, there's some things we need to do. But God gives us the ability to operate on His power, on His strength. We don't have to have our spiritual lives like that. So what I want to do is encourage you to quit living without God's power. Now, to do that, I'm going to share with you and go through Acts chapter 1. Most people will look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is one of the most famous power passages of the Bible because that's when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and fills all of God's people. We're actually having a five-week series on the Holy Spirit later on in the summer. We're going to get to Acts chapter 2. What I want to show you, however, is that Acts chapter 2 doesn't happen unless Acts chapter 1 happens. This is not just some historical thing going on. They're just kind of telling the story. No, there are some prerequisites of things that you and I must do if we want to experience Acts chapter 2, if we want to experience the power of God. There are several prerequisites in chapter 1 that I want to challenge you to do so that you don't have to live peddling through life on your own energy. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, here's what we start. Luke is writing, and so he says, In my former book, Gospel of Luke, essentially, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and teach. So that's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. Jesus has died. He is resurrected. Now comes the after story, essentially. Verse 2, until the day Jesus was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. I just want to point out this is the first time in the New Testament that the, the 12 typically referred to as the disciples. Now they get a new title on their business cards. They're Apostles. What makes you qualified to be an apostle? There were two things. You had to be commissioned by Jesus Christ himself, and you had to have seen him after the resurrection. And so we're told later on in in this chapter, they began began their apostolic ministry. They are no longer following Jesus as disciples. They are now apostles, essentially speaking on behalf of him. And they write pretty much the the half of the New Testament or all the New Testament. Okay? Verse 3. After Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men, and notice, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I want you to think about being one of the twelve or one of the group of people that followed Jesus initially. I want you to think about what's just happened over the last two weeks. The master's been killed, essentially. Jesus was killed. He wasn't. He didn't get into a car accident. It wasn't, you know, a freak heart attack kind of... No, he was basically put in the electric chair of the day. He was crucified, okay? His ministry is over. His followers have dispersed. The leaders that have followed Jesus, these disciples, are fugitives. Their faith has been outlawed. The whole thing is caving in on itself. They're all trying to come up with plans to figure out we're going to go back and get, pick up the fishing business, you know, and, you know. Matthew's trying to figure out if he can get back into the accounting thing. And, you know, they've got to figure out what they're going to do. And then one thing happens that reverses everything and changes everything. Jesus comes back from the dead. I mean, it just doesn't change everything. They gain this massive momentum. People are believing. Everybody starts following. Everybody is so excited, and they want to jump on the Jesus bandwagon. They are back in business, right? Things are going well, which, what, which makes verse 4 incredibly surprising, right? Everything's going their way. Verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised for which you have heard me speak about. If you're jotting down notes, here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do to live in God's power. It involves patience and waiting on God. Living with the power of God involves patience and waiting on God. What surprises me so much in verse 4, and many commentators have noted this, is that they've got all the momentum on their side, the tides on their side, everything's going their way. The last thing you want to do is wait. You don't do that in the business world. You don't do that in the sports world. You don't do this. What do you mean wait? And they basically sat around for weeks. Just, they, well, why wait? What's going on here? Uh, how, how many of you like waiting? Any of you like waiting? It's not very fun to wait, is it? It's not fun to wait at a red light. It's not fun to wait at a grocery store in, in line. You guys like, Especially if you're like in the express lane a line right 12 items and under and the guy in front of you has 20 don't you like waiting for that isn't that encouraging right or or waiting for your 25 year old son to finally move out of the house you'd like waiting for that right or the guy you've been dating for seven years to finally ask you to marry him it's not not fun waiting or waiting for your boss to, to give you a raise or waiting for the niners to make it to the super bowl again we don't like waiting right some of you can be waiting for a long time right We don't like waiting. We are not a patient people, okay? We like fast food, right? We we like instant messaging. We want to be able to everything quickly, even in our spiritual walk. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. You have to learn to be patient and wait upon the Lord. It's amazing, especially in the Psalms, how much the psalmist talks about waiting upon the Lord. There was a chorus we used to sing years and years ago about waiting for his perfect time. Waiting for his perfect time. You see, sometimes if, if you force this too quickly, what God's trying to do in you, it, it's not going to produce what you really want. One of the things that I found very interesting over the last week or two is to follow Terrence, our student pastor on Facebook, and, and everything they're saying about the, the pregnancy, right? It seems like, you know, they think they're having a baby today. Uh, she's having contractions. You know, you've got to wait a week to wait. You know, your first baby, you never know what, what's happening, right? And uh, but, but imagine, some of you know Terrence's wife, Becca. Imagine if, if I had gone up to Becca in week, in, in month six of her pregnancy. So she's been six months pregnant. How would, how, what would happen if I went up to her and said, push, <laughs> breathe, push? Well, if you went up to any pregnant woman, but especially Becca, she'd probably slap you. <laughs> you don't push at month six, right? Because we all know you've got to wait nine months. Now, that's, that's in the area of, of our physical lives and bodies. How much so, so in our spiritual lives? Waiting on the Lord is just as important. It's just as significant. And some of us are trying to rush through this spiritual life, realizing that you're actually hurting the process. You're hurting the process. There's a very famous verse. Let's put it on the screen. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, those who hope or many of us memorize it, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Ornithologists who study birds say that birds will fly one of three ways. The first, the most popular way, the most way we most think of is by flapping their wings. Like Tweety Bird, just flapping your wings, right? It is said that a hummingbird can flap its wings up to 70 times in one second. It's a lot of flapping right? Some of us live our lives that way. We're flapping our wings, flapping away. The problem with flapping your wings, right? Or, or, or a man-powered aircraft is it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of work. And eventually, Tweety Bird has got to sit on the sidelines, right? And that's how some of us feel. That's how we're living our spiritual lives, just flapping away. The second way that birds can fly is by gliding. They gain enough altitude and they basically just coast. They just coast. You coasting in your spiritual walk? You know what I mean by that, right? You're not really going back, but you're not really going for You're just coasting. Just leaving the easy spiritual life. Some of us are flapping the wings. Some of us are coasting and gliding. The third way ornithologists tell us that bird fly are, is what it says right there in verse 31, by soaring. Very few birds can do this. Very few. The eagle happens to be one of them. The eagle, apparently because of its wingspan, because of the strength of, of, its, of its wings is able to, quote, I wrote this down, capable of catching rising currents of warm thermal air that propels the eagle without them moving their wings at all. An eagle has been clocked at 80 miles an an hour without any flapping whatsoever. They're just soaring. And God says to you today, you don't have to live your spiritual life flapping away. You shouldn't live your life just coasting. If you learn to wait upon the Lord, if you learn to be patient on his timing, you will experience what eagles do. You will soar. You will be filled with God's power. So one of the first things we need to do is you need to learn how to wait. In this case, what are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting for verse 8. One of the most famous verses in the entire New Testament, Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is what they were waiting for. In your case, it's going to be something different. But wait upon God's timing. Don't push through in your own timing, okay? Second thing I want to encourage you to do, write this down. Be willing to be used by God be willing to be used by God. Verse 12, let's pick up the story. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. So they're, they're hoofing it, right? Uh, When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room. Notice the definite article, the, not a room, the room, probably indicating that they were going back to the room that they were at during the Passover meal, just before Jesus was crucified. It was the room, right? Where they were staying. And I want you to notice who is mentioned. I mean, these are, these are all stars in the Bible, right? those present were peter john james andrew philip thomas bartholomew matthew james son of Alphaeus, simon the zealot and judas son of james in other words not the bad judas but the judas son of james now like i mentioned a lot of us look at this list and we go wow these are like the all-stars of of of, of the early church these got impressive resumes these are marble giants of the faith if you're in the catholic church all of these guys are quote-unquote saints the problem is is that we are reading chapter 1 through the filter of 2,000 years of our experience. We know the impact that these individuals had, not only on the early church, but have had on the impact, as many of them wrote parts of the New Testament. We know that. But what we forget is that when Acts chapter 1 is occurring, that group of people right there are a bunch of bums. They're a bunch of bums. Let me just go through the list. The first guy, Peter other than judas there's no one lower than this guy he's just come off turning his back and denying christ three times that's peter there's nothing been said about him about him being the pillar and it, no he's nothing right now right then you got john and james these are brothers you know what their nickname was sons of thunder they were so stuck on themselves, they actually had the gall to go up to Jesus and say, you know, when the kingdom comes, can we, can we have the honorary seats right next to you? That was James and John. Then you have Thomas. That's the doubting guy. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I believe. I don't, I... That's Thomas. Then you have Matthew. It doesn't say here. He's the tax collector. There was no worse profession than a tax collector. None worse. Everybody hated tax collectors. That's Matthew. Then you have Simon right at the end. It says the Zealot, capital Z. That is his political affiliation. That's like saying so, you know, someone is a Republican or a Democrat. He was a zealot. It was an ex- extreme political group. They were known for killing people and, and assassination attempts to, to gain access to political power. Not only did the Romans not like them, but the Jews didn't like them. That's Simon. And then later in verse 14, we're told that Jesus' brothers were there bunch of kooks. They didn't even believe Jesus was the son of God. In fact, they went so far as trying to have their brother Jesus committed to an insane asylum. That's who's in the room. A bunch of bums. But these bums changed the world. You know why? Because they were willing to be used by God. They realized that Being filled with God's power is not how you start your walk with Jesus. It's what you do after you start your walk with Jesus. It's whether you choose to persevere or not. It has nothing to do with what you start with. It has everything to do with what you do thereafter. Let let me give you an example. 1954, opening day of the baseball season, the uh, Milwaukee Braves at the time are playing the Cincinnati Reds. And the story is about two rookies that are starting. One rookie got all the headlines. This was the rookie right here. Let's put it up. His name was Jim Greengrass. Anyone heard of him? 1954, he was all that. He hit four doubles as a rookie. First game of his professional career. Won the game for the Cincinnati Reds. Everybody was talking about Jim Greengrass. Great baseball name, right? None of us have heard of him. There was another rookie that played that game. Played for the Milwaukee Braves. Had an awful game. He went 0 for 5. Had a play that many thought was an error. Awful game. but Everyone was talking. This guy's going back to the minors. His name was, let's put him up there. Guy called Hank Aaron. He was a fairly good baseball player. Had, you know, a major record for home runs until the steroid guy beat him out. But that's beside the point. (laughs) You know what the point of this is? It's not how you start. It's what you do after you start. It's not your past. It's what you're choosing to do in your future. I've told you this before. Being used by God, the only place that God can use you isn't the church. He can use you in any scenario, in your family, at your work. You know, but in the context of the church, just, just by way of example, whether you choose to be used by God in the context of this body, you know, we'll have church without you. It will go on whether you serve or not. The, is- the issue is not that we need you. The issue is that we want you. We want you to be part of what's going on here. If you choose not to, if you just choose to come sit and soak, that's on you and that's fine, I guess. But we want you. And here's the kicker and here's the more critical point for you. You do realize that God does not empower you in life until in some cases you do exactly what these guys did Okay, I got a crummy past. My resume doesn't look that good, but I'm willing to be used by God. Where do you want to put me? It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make. You you make a choice to, to be patient and wait on God, and you make a choice to be willing to be used by God. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Verse 14 says this. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, And with his brothers third thing I want you to do and encourage you to do is repair broken and strained relationships You don't initially see it in this verse, but it's very important Normally people gravitate to one of two other things one They notice that the family of jesus is there mary is there and his brothers are there Then a lot of people emphasize the fact that they were constantly in prayer We're going to get to the prayer point here in a moment, but the key in this verse is the first four words they all joined together they all join together. They all join together. It's a phrase that is repeated constantly in the book of Acts by Luke to emphasize that they were united as one, that that they were bound together, that they were a team, that they were a family. Speaking of family, in this chapter and in the book of Acts is the very first time they start to refer to other Christians as brothers or as sisters. You ever been in a church, sometimes it's a little more conservative. They may talk about, you know, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. They're not all related, Okay. Unless, unless you're in Alabama or something. They're, they're just talking about... I know, I'm, I'm just ready to go here. They're, they're talking about their relationship in Christ. That's what they're talking about. Now, we may not talk that way, but the reality is we're a family. That's what the Bible speaks. We're supposed to be and act like a family. You, you do realize, you go, well, what broken and strained relationship did they had You do know the disciples were squabbling and fighting all the time. There was all kinds of tension. There was all kinds of conflict. I'm absolutely convinced Acts chapter 2 doesn't happen until they're able to all join together. They're able to repair broken and strained relationships. God says, I'm, I'm not giving you any power until you guys get your act together. So you guys fix your relationships. So let me just ask you, how about kids and parents? How's that going? Oh, I'm not saying there's not going to be some squabbles. That's just part of being human. I'm talking about broken or strained relationships. How about husbands and wives? How about people in this room you used to call close friends? How about people at work? You see, it's very simple. If you have a broken, strained relationship that you are making absolutely no attempt to do anything about, I'm just telling you, don't expect God to give you the kind of power you want. Expect to be spiritually exhausted. You know that to be true. Some, we call it stress. We call it stress. You go, well, what do I do in that situation? Take the initiative, step number one. But, I, but they were the one that messed up. I know. You take the initiative. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you. Two, offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness. But you don't know what they did. I mean, it was horrible what they did or what they said. I know it is. But Jesus says in the New Testament, and this is kind of the, the, his ace in the hole. If you don't forgive them, I'm not going to forgive you. Your choice. So I would prefer to forgive them for what they did for me instead of not give God's forgiveness. So take the initiative offer or give forgiveness, and just try and be kind. I, I'm just saying to you, whether it's at work, at school, at church, in your family, if you've got that, you're, you're just peddling in life. You're just flapping your wings. You've got to make at least an effort to do that, and then watch how God empowers you. A couple more things. Verse 15 starts a big, long section. Let's just read that section. Notice what they're trying to do. In those days, Peter stood up. He's already stepping up as a leader among the believers, a group numbering about 120. That's all they had, 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in his ministry. With the the reward he got for the wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Akeldama. this is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may... Another take his place for leadership. this whole section they are focusing on we have We had twelve Judas committed suicide. We need twelve again why can 't they go on with eleven? They had some very specific reasons. We need twelve disciples. We need to find someone else to step into that leadership i 'm not going to get into all the technicalities of it, but that 's what 's going on here verse twenty one therefore it is necessary. To choose one of the men who have been with us this whole time, the Lord Jesus went in uh, and among us. It's very interesting. We think that it's Jesus just walking around with the 12 disciples around Galilee and doing his ministry and everything. Not so. There were actually quite, he had this massive entourage. So they're saying, we already had these disciples. We're going to pick from all the group that we're following. Okay, let's pick some other people. And it says in verse 22, it gives some kind of criteria. Beginning, they were with us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. So any one of that group. For one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. Okay? Involved in this apostolic ministry. Verse 23. So they proposed two men. Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Here's point number four. Write it down. To be filled with God's power, you need to replace sin with righteousness. The whole section is about them replacing Judas with eventually this guy called Matthias. Judas is out. Matthias essentially is in Now when it, when you apply that principle to our lives You have to realize again so many of us live our lives and we grew up in churches Isn't this true that every sunday we were just told what not to do and where not to go and what not to say And don't do this and don't go there and here's the commandments and it, you know We kind of grow up kind of, sometimes we refer to that as legalism or if ever we broke one of those rules We felt guilty now There's certainly some things you shouldn't do in your christian walk But what we have not balanced out is while there's some things you shouldn't do, there's a whole truckload of things you should do. That's called righteousness. It's called right living. So, So, for example, this works in any area of health. So, for example, if I want to start to become physically healthy, there's some things I need to stop doing. I should probably stop smoking. I should probably stop excessively drinking. I should probably stop eating a box of Oreo cookies every night. There's some things you should stop doing. And then there's some things you should start doing. You should start jogging and you should start maybe lifting some weights and you should start eating some vegetables. If you want to be physically healthy, there's some stop and there's some stop, uh, there's some stop, stop and some start. If you want your garden to look better, okay, there's some things you should quit or stop. You should spray for bugs and you should get rid of the crab grass and you, you, know, you should you should get you know pull the weeds, things you've got to get rid of. And then there's some things you should start, like you should start watering on a more consistent basis. You should start fertilizing your lawn. Some things you should stop, some things you should start. It's the same thing in your Christian walk. There's some things you should stop. The Bible calls those sin. What one sin came to your mind right now? That's the one you need to work on. We all got one. I guarantee you, if you're having trouble figuring out what your one is, just talk to your spouse, anyone in your family. They'd be happy to help you out. We all got one, at least one. So there's some things you got to start, and there's some things you got to start. Start doing certain things. You know, you know there, and there's so many. We already talked about one. It could be sermon. It could be reading your Bible. There's a, a boatload of things you should start doing. But the key is to replace sin. Not just a limit, replace sin with, with righteousness. The last thing I want to encourage you to do that we see in this chapter is clearly they make prayer a priority. Verse 24, we're going to wrap it up with this. Again, they say, verse 24, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry with Judas left to go where he belongs. The best way I can explain how important prayer is in your life is, let's put this slide up there real quick. Prayer. This is your life. That's your life without prayer. Any questions? I, I just don't know how else to say it. Your life can be like a rocket ship with prayer. Or it's more like a paper airplane without it. Now I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything like that. I'm curious. Did you spend time in prayer this week other than... When you tuck the kids in bed or praying for your food. Because if you didn't, then our life is more like the right side of the screen. I I don't understand all about prayer. Well, if God already knows what I need, why should I ask him? You know, I don't understand everything about prayer. I just know this. He wants me to do it. He wants me to do it. So it's our call. Your call. You do it, you don't do it. But then don't complain when you're spiritually exhausted. Don't complain. Every single chapter other than two or three in the book of Acts, every single chapter it mentions prayer. I would think that that's kind of saying that it's a priority. So let's just take two, three steps back and let's just kind of review what we've learned. But we want to live in God's power and, and, and not live in our own strength. So just by way of comparison, let's put this last slide up there. We're talking about planes and everything. And right after third service, I'm, I'm not even st- sticking around to shake hands and kiss babies. I'm going right up to the house. I'm getting my suitcase. I'm going to SFO, flying to New York, and then to South Africa on one of those planes on the left. Can you imagine if instead I went to South Africa and I went on the Gossamer Albatross? How far, how far would I get? I mean, I'd probably, you know, get to El Cerrito, you know. (laughs) I'm back. What happened? I got tired, you know. So where are you spiritually? Well, the reality is we're probably somewhere in the middle, isn't that? We're probably somewhere in the middle. But the promise that God gives is he wants you to be on the left side of the screen. He wants you to be on a 747. He doesn't want you to be operating on your own power and your own strength. Now, we've talked about a lot of things. How how do I get to the left side of the screen? How do I operate in God's power? I want you to pick one and only one. Let's put it up on the screen. Let's wrap it up. I want you to choose to be patient and wait on him. Be willing to be used by God. In other words, jump in and start serving somewhere. Make an effort to repair strained relationships. Replace sin with righteousness. In other words, start doing something good after you stop doing something bad. And start praying and making it a higher priority. I want you to look at that screen. I want you to pick one. Pick one. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves. Thank you that um, while we are meant to work for our salvation, we are meant to live out our salvation. Remind us that it is in... It's through you that we work. That it's you that works in and through us. Father, as Paul says in the book of Philippians, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We want that verse not just to be a verse that we know, and we memorize, and we talk about, but a, w- a verse that we really live out. And the reality is, Father, we have felt lately, some of us, that we're just slapping our wings. We have felt that we are cycling away, living on our own strength and power, and today you've reminded us that it doesn't have to be that way. Today you've reminded us that you've given us your Holy Spirit to live in power and in strength. Father, I pray that whatever it was that you challenged us with today, that we wouldn't just nod our heads and leave here and say, that was interesting, that was, that was good, but that we would go here and that we would apply it. If we said, yeah, you know, I've got to get better at prayer, that that starting tomorrow we would spend more time in prayer. That we wouldn't just say, thank you, God, for our food, but we would spend an extra 10 minutes talking to you and sharing our requests and praising and and acknowledging your goodness. Father, if some of us here, the minute we talked about strained relationships, someone came to our mind. And we would just prefer to avoid it. We would prefer to not think about it. But you reminded us of that this morning. You brought some of us here today to remind us that living with strained, broken relationships we do nothing about to fix is unacceptable as a follower of yours. Father, whatever it was, we want to be a people, we want to be a church that operate on your power and on your strength. We choose today to quit living on our own strength, to quit living on our own efforts, and instead to rely on you. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.